My name is Eric Goodell, and um, I serve as one of the deacons here at First City Church. I am married to the lovely supermodel down here in the front row, Sarah. And I am dad to four adventurous, always curious, energetic kiddos, all under the age of eight. So the uh, Goodell household is never, um, never boring, <laughs> never dull. Um, so each year we spend some time in the Psalms, and today we're going to be looking at uh, Psalm chapter 19. Well, have you ever heard this phrase, seeing is believing? Or maybe you've said something like this, I'll believe it when I see it. I know I've said something like that. And if seeing is believing, then we are immediately confronted with a problem, or at least a very big question when we read the following description of God in 1 Timothy 1.17. It says this, To the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Well, how can an invisible God be known? Not only do we live in a society that defiantly declares, hey, I'll believe it when I see it, but we also know our own hearts are prone to be skeptical of what we can't see with our own eyes or what we can't touch with our own hands, right? Well, Psalm 19 this morning, it stands as a lighthouse, or better yet, a foghorn, to show us that God has not remained silent about who he is or about what he's up to in the world. Psalm 19 shows us that God has chosen to reveal himself to us in three undeniable ways, and that this revelation ought to provoke a response in us of humble repentance and of confident faith. And so if you are here this morning and you have a desire to know God more deeply, then take heart. Because Psalm 19 shows us that knowing God is possible and it's what you were made for. So would you please open up your Bibles or if you have an app to be able to follow along this morning to Psalm chapter 19. God is known in the silent word of creation. Verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. So I have a question for you. Why is it that few things can take your breath away like a sky chock full of, of stars on a dark summer night? I remember as a kid, we, were, we would go out to the edge of town far from the city lights where the, the view was unobstructed? Or why is it that you can stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and be speechless, just filled with this staggering sense of awe as grandeur? Why is it that you can bend down to the ground and just be stunned with wonder as you watch this co a colony of ants just tirelessly work in synchronized harmony? Or why does, why does gazing at a world just blanketed in white snow or at the unique and intricate design of a, of a maple leaf have the same effect on you that a great work of art does? And the answer given by Psalm 19 is because it is a great work of art. And behind every great and beautiful work of art is an artist. And so the message of creation, it screams. It screams that you and this beautifully complex world are not an accident. But there is a creator, and he's glorious, and he's beautiful, and he's powerful. 
And the message is not secret, but it's, it's loud and it's incessantly proclaimed to all who have ears to hear their message. Look at verse 3. It says, there's no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard, their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the end of the world. No words are needed for God to be known as the powerful creator. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation on earth can hear that proclamation. And so the natural world speaks of a creator God who's powerful, who's full of glory. But we also get a glimpse of a God who is generously gracious to all. In the second half of verse 4, look at this. David describes the sun. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other ends. Nothing is hidden from its heat. You see, in creation, you and I are made aware that the same sun, which brings life and warmth to us, isn't reserved for one group of people or even one religious sector of the world, but it's enjoyed by everyone. Nothing is hidden from his heat. Or put another way, nothing is deprived of its life-giving warmth. Even Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 45. He says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. All enjoy the son's beauty. All enjoy and receive its life-giving benefits. All feel its warmth. And every single day we get to look up at this powerful reminder that all of life is a gift of grace from our generous creator God. And maybe to make this personal for just a minute, I'll, I'll share a quick story. It was about a year ago when I was in a pretty dark place internally. And, and you may not have seen it on my face, but my battle with depression was just zapping all of my energy and all of my motivation. Um, and with depression, for me, tends to come this hyper-awareness of my own weaknesses, my insufficiencies in life, my... Um, in work, in parenting, in marriage, you name it. And at this particular low point, I wanted nothing more than to run away, if I'm honest. Or, or at least hide away from the world in, in any human interaction. I remember every conversation I'd have just thinking, just act normal, Eric, just act normal. But what particularly marked this time for me was this strong feeling that I didn't deserve anything good in life. Have you ever been there? Well, it was my day off, and I had the kids while my wife worked, and so I decided to take them down to my hometown so they could enjoy some time with their cousins. And I did my very best to uh, act normal and to be a good uncle, but the truth is I just felt like a shell of a person. I remember feeling guilty for making the drive an hour to and from the house because I was spending money on gas I didn't deserve to spend. Well, we were driving home, and that, that pit in my stomach still hadn't gone away when the road we were on suddenly turned to the west. And I remember, I remember the most serene and the most beautiful sunset just sat there, suspended over the horizon. And for this brief moment, there was this relief as the light literally broke in through the darkness that I was experiencing. And I felt this moment of joy. And what came over me was this profound realization 
that there was nothing I could do in that moment to deserve this beauty that was in front of me. And at the very same time, there was nothing I could do to mess it up. God's grace broke through to me in this tangible way through his creation to remind me that all I have is a gift of his grace. And can I remind you today that all that you have is a gift of God's grace, all of it. And so God's common grace makes its way to all people through the silent word of creation, a word that reveals God as creator and sustainer of all things, full of power and glory and lavish, lavish in his common grace to all. But before we move on, um, can we just stop and for a moment and reflect? Because knowing my church family and knowing uh, even better my own tendencies, I just have to ask this question. Do you stop long enough in your busy and at times frenetic schedule to pause and to hear creation's message? There is a creator God and you're not alone. You are not an accident. But your life is the intentional design of a purposeful and a powerful creator. There is a God who not only created this beautiful, complex, majestic world, but he's powerful enough to sustain it millennia after millennia after millennia. Is he not powerful enough to sustain you? Are you slowing down enough to listen? Or is your mind constantly thinking, Okay, what's next on the schedule? Or what ball is going to be dropped right now if I slow down and I look at the stars? Or I get out and go for a walk? Maybe you're like me and you often miss the glory of God in creation because you're walking with your head down or sucked into your phone or you're packing the kids up and rushing them off to the next event. Does the noise and the distraction ever stop long enough for you to hear. And this morning, Psalm 19 would invite you to slow down, to look up and see the invisible God pulling back the curtain and making himself known. And while the, wit the, while the witness of nature is enough to show us there is a God and that he's great and he's beautiful and he's powerful, it's not sufficient to know how we can actually be in right relationship to him, to know how he reigns over his creation or, or what his heart is like. And so the silent word of creation, it's, it's just not enough. And so God also makes himself known in the perfect word of scripture. So in the scripture is where the artist behind all of creation chooses to open up his mouth and to tell us who he really is and what he's doing in the world. So would you look down at your Bible in this psalm and notice a really important shift here, okay? So in the first verse of the psalm, the word God is the Hebrew word El. And this points us to a God who's mighty, a God who's powerful, which makes perfect sense, right? Because he created everything. But starting in verse 7, David speaks exclusively about God using the word LORD in all caps. Do you see that? And this is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's not just this general name for God, 
but it's the name of the covenant God of Israel. And in this book, here is what we come to know about Yahweh. Yahweh is the God who personally chooses a people for himself, and he promises to bless the entire world through them. Yahweh, the God who shows himself to be holy and distinct from mankind, and at the same time merciful in providing a sacrificial system, enabling them to be close to him still. Yahweh, the God who reveals himself to be faithful to his promises, even when his people turn their back on him, breaking all of theirs. Yahweh, who reveals himself to be a God of justice, a God of strength, a God of compassion, a God who's slow to anger, a God who's abounding in steadfast love and truth, a defender of the helpless. Yahweh, the God who heals, who provides, and who delivers. And as the, the story of the Bible unfolds, well, the colors begin to deepen. And the portrait of this creator God not only fills in, but it actually comes to life in Yahweh. And so this is the God revealed in, in scriptures. And so it's no wonder that David here in this psalm just can't stop talking. He can't stop talking about how amazing this book is. It's no wonder that he is completely captivated in his imagination and his longing. David is just overflowing with, with words to describe this, the tremendous benefits and the far-reaching effects of this book. So look at verse 7. It says this, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. Meaning perfectly complete. It lacks nothing. The idea is that it's all sided. It covers all aspects of life. And through these words, a person's soul can be revitalized. What food does for the body, the scripture does for the soul. You may remember Jesus' words, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God revives the soul. And going on, it says, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The word of God gives insight to those who are simple and inexperienced at life. So the word inexperienced here points to a person whose mind is open, but not really in such a good way. Open to any and everything that would enter, regardless of no discernment and, and, and no skill and, and knowing when to shut it, actually. That's what this, is, this word is pointing to. In other words, the Bible is a, is a great source of wisdom for us to live by. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. Precepts are absolute truths. They're charges from God that keep you in the path of God's will. And so we don't have to wonder about what God's will is because it's all right here. And God's will is the path that leads to joy. It says, making the heart glad. And the point is emphasized here in the, in the very next part of the verse, which says, the command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Enduring forever. His word is reliable, and it doesn't change. We change our minds all the time, don't we? The, 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 today's trends, they're, they're going to be changed by tomorrow, but God's word will always be in, right? It was relevant to the original biblical audience. It's relevant to you here, sitting here in 2021, and it's going to be relevant to your great-grandchildren's grandchildren 150 years from now. And that's because this word is, according to Hebrews chapter 4, 
living and it's active right now. It's active right now, penetrating even to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the attitudes and the thoughts of the heart. God's word endures forever. The second half of verse 9, take a look at this. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. And so just for a moment, let's skip down to verse 11. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there's abundant reward. Here we can see two major benefits of the scriptures, to provide warning and promise. And it warns us of, of pitfalls and dangers in life that we may have never seen, and it reminds us that obedience to God's ways is filled with the greatest reward and the greatest blessing. And if David hasn't said enough in praise of this scripture, he says of God's word in verse 10, they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. So in talking about gold and honey here, David sums up in one sentence two of the greatest motivating factors for nearly every person who has walked the earth, treasure and pleasure, money and honey. So I want you to just really quick self-reflect on your own relationship to money for just a minute. We'll work for it. We'll get an education for it. We'll pick up and move our entire lives and our families for it. We'll give our midnight hours for it. We'll sacrifice our best years and our strength in exchange for it. We'll lie for it. We'll cheat for it. Some will even die for it. And yet, we have a treasure that according to the God who created the entire universe is more valuable than gold than an abundance of pure gold, it says. In the scriptures, we get to know who God is. We get to hear his voice and we get to know his heart. His word is a treasure worth pursuing. And so do you live like that's true? Do you see this book as the gracious gift of God to you that it really is? It's, it's not just a rule book or a history book or an instruction manual, but every word of this book is revealing to you the plans and the purposes and the very heart of the God who made you and who loves you. And sometimes I wonder, I wonder if we take this book for granted because of the easy access that we have, the overabundance of Bibles that we have just right there at our fingertips, Right? And so I want to ask, will you, by faith, trust that immersing yourself and your family in this book is perhaps the greatest investment you will make? Will you ask God to make your heart just come alive to his word? Will you devote yourself to studying it, to meditating on it, to memorizing it, and by God's grace, living according to it? This is a means of God's grace to you. And to that, I pray that you would be able to receive it as that. And so as we seek to know this invisible God, uh, we've seen that Psalm 19 lays out this vision of the natural world just constantly bearing witness to the creator God. And we've also seen that God's made a way for us to know him that's deeper, that's richer, and that's clearer in his written word. Before we move on, to David's response to that revelation, because there is a response. It demands a response. But before we move on to that, we need to acknowledge something. 
We don't live in the Old Testament. And by God's grace, we now have the full counsel of God in the Old and the New Testament. And so if we'll step back for just a minute and we'll read Psalm 19 through the interpretive lens of the New Testament, that we, that we get to see something clearly that David only saw dimly. All right, so get ready. God not only reveals himself in creation and in the written word, but he has fully and finally revealed himself in a person who brings completion to both. And here's what I mean. In Genesis chapter one, we see that God creates the world by speaking a word. But do you know what the apostle, the apostle John calls Jesus in the beginning of his, of his gospel? John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that's been created. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wait, wait. Jesus was there at the creation of the worlds? Jesus was the word through which God created everything? Wait, Jesus is the glory of God that creation proclaims day after day after day? But that would totally change the way I look at creation. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. The word of creation is ultimately pointing you and me to Jesus, the word made flesh. But that's not all. Do you want to know what Jesus related, how Jesus related himself to the scriptures? Not, not creation now, but to the scriptures in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, he said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, a.k.a. the scriptures. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. Jesus is the fulfillment, the end of the scriptures. So is it any surprise to you that when we read these descriptions of the law of the Lord in Psalm 19, that they sound a lot like Jesus himself? Take, take a look for yourself. Perfect, trustworthy, right, pure, clean, restoring the, uh, the, uh, the soul, bringing wisdom and joy, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever. Yes, Psalm 19 describes the scriptures with these words. But if time allowed, I'm telling you, it would not be hard to find these exact descriptions of Jesus in the New Testament. So ask me for references later if you want, because it's really, really beautiful. But the point is this, not only the word of creation, but the word of scripture is meant to point you to Jesus. And why is this important as we sit here talking about the way God has revealed himself to us? Because when we see Jesus, we see the clearest image of God possible. John 1.18 says this, no one has ever seen God, 
the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Or John 14, it's almost as if Jesus' disciple Philip could anticipate that we would be prone to disbelief. He says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. You know, we'll believe it when we see it. And Jesus replies, have I not been among you? Have I been among you all this time? And you don't know me, Philip? The one who sees me sees the Father. So how does an invisible God make himself known? He does it by putting on flesh and walking among us. If you want to know what God is like, then look to Jesus. Look to his life and look to his death and look to his resurrection. See his compassion and his humility, his forgiveness, his patience, his gentleness, his justice. God has not remained silent, but he's spoken clearly. He has spoken in creation and in the scriptures, and he has spoken most definitively in his son, Jesus Christ. Can you see this? Praise God that he's made himself known to us so clearly. Amen? But David doesn't end the psalm there because the revelation of God provokes, it demands a response. God's revelation leads to a humble repentance and a confident faith. As David sees God's glory in creation and his perfections in the scripture, he can't help but recognize who he is in light of this great and holy God, a sinful man in need of forgiveness. So starting in verse 12, let's look here. Um, who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins and do not let them rule me. So David's response to God's revelation is just a profound humility before him. He says to God, Lord, not only am I broken, I can't even know all the ways that I fall short. In light of who David sees this perfect creator God to be, he opens himself up in vulnerability and he cries out for mercy and he cries out for forgiveness. David realizes that he can't cleanse himself. He can't overcome his own wayward desires and so he throws himself at God's mercy. And there's this awareness of his own inability to fix himself. And he lays it all out there. And then look what comes next, the second half of verse 13. This is how he responds. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. So here David's repentance, it turns into a confident assurance that he will be met with mercy and with cleansing. But you gotta ask why, right? What is... What's the basis of David's assurance here? Is it positive thinking? Or his own self-justification? Maybe uh, he's just minimizing his flaws? Or, or maybe it's a promise to clean up his act or to pay for his sins or, or, or to really do better the next time. Maybe that's his basis. That's why he's so confident. No. 
he offers up a final prayer to the object of his faith and confidence. Verse 14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David knows, he's confident that his repentant heart will be met with forgiveness because he knows that the God on the receiving end of his plea is his rock and his redeemer. His confidence is not in himself, but in the character of a God who, of the God who has revealed himself to be a rock to stand on, a redeemer from sin. And I wanna, I wanna tell you this morning, I wanna remind myself this morning that if David had confidence that he would be cleansed because God was his redeemer, we can have all the more confidence of redemption because we know who the redeemer is that David was alluding to. And we know the great length that this redeemer went to to make forgiveness not only possible but certain. We know that Jesus is the redeemer who bought us out of slavery to sin at the cost of his very life. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 reminds us, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus offered up his life as a sacrifice to pay the debt that we owed because of our sin. And we can know with even more confidence than David that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart can and will be pleasing to God because Christ's blood cleanses them and makes them acceptable. Being in Christ is our confidence before a holy God. Jesus is our sure hope of being made right with our creator. And so I wanna end by just bringing this full circle and asking you to consider just a few questions this morning. As God makes himself known to you in creation, are you satisfied with just the nice feelings or that sense of wonder that being in nature gives you? Or will you let it serve as an invitation to lift up your eyes in worship and in gratitude and in interaction with Christ, the one who holds it all together? And as God makes himself known to you in the scriptures, are you satisfied with just simply checking a Bible reading plan box that gives you some sense of accomplishment? Man, I'm speaking to myself here. (laughs) Or simply adding to your mental bank of biblical knowledge because it's the right thing to do? Or will you let the scriptures serve their intended purpose of directing your attention and your focus, your affection and your, your dependence to the person of Christ. Remember what Jesus told the Jews of his day who knew the scriptures inside and out. He said this in John 5. He said, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me. But you're not willing to come to me so you may have life. So will you hear the invitation of scripture this morning to move you beyond just simply knowing more about God to truly knowing God by coming to him through Christ.
This invisible God has not remained silent, but he has made himself known in the silent word of creation and in the perfect word of scripture and ultimately in Jesus, the divine word made flesh. May we be a church that daily responds to that revelation in humble repentance of our sin and confident faith in Jesus as our redeemer. And if that is the cry of your heart as well, church, would you join me in praying the final verse of this psalm together with the words up on the screen. Let's say this together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.